Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. <laughs> A vagrant is home everywhere. I could barely get my stakes in the ground and ended up like pitching my tent, not super well, and I got it set up, but you know, I wake up and I go to sleep and it starts snowing and I wake up and I can tell this, the tent is sagging a lot and I try to like kick in this like this really wet, heavy snow and try to kick the snow off and I think I doze back to sleep and then Next thing I know, I wake up and the tent is just collapsed on me. And it's sleeting, it's snowing, it's just really shitty. And basically just grab everything like in my hands and there's a pit toilet not too far away. I just hide in the pit toilet, lock the door and, um, you know, <laughs> get my pad up and try to sleep. So spent that night in the pit toilet, which, you know, I think, think is something a lot of hiker trash do. I'm Doc. And this is Hiker Trash Radio. Hey, is this thing on? Hello? Hit it again. 
I think it's on now. <clears throat> Welcome to Hiker Trash Radio, where each week, Doc will drag some colorful characters out of the woods to talk trail and type 2 fun. If you're aspiring hiker trash, or if you're just looking to understand the hiker trash in your life, look no further. So lace up those boots, gnaw on some jerky, and settle into your 20-mile pace as we fire up the podcast from somewhere deep in the backcountry. It's time to embrace the suck. We are stoked to partner with Garage Grown Gear on this episode of Hiker Trash Radio. Garage Grown Gear, or GGG for short, is your online store for all things ultralight backpacking. Dedicated to supporting the growth of small and cottage brands, they've got everything you need all in one place. From ultralight accessories to dehydrated meals to your big three, Garage Grown Gear has everything you need to lighten your load. Based out of St. Paul, Minnesota, GGG is known for its commitment to providing quality ultralight gear, stellar customer service, and free shipping and returns over $40. Welcome back to another week on the trail, dirtbags, hiker trash, and of course, good smelling day hikers. I'm Doc, and this is Hiker Trash Radio. Hey, if you like what we're doing here, help us out. Take just a minute. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't like what we're doing, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right. Let's get to this week's guest, through hiker and ultra runner, Dave Bronlich. Welcome to Hiker Trash Radio, Dave. How's it going? Good, Doc. Thanks a lot for having me. It's very exciting. Yes. And the one thing we didn't talk about before hitting the record button was the pronunciation of your last name. Did I butcher it or did I do all right? It's Bromlick. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, I, That's okay. I, yeah. Had a, <laughs> I had a 50-50 chance. Bromlick. Okay. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Hey, Dave, I know that you've spent a lot of time out on the trails. Have you picked up a trail name along the way? <clears throat> yeah, it's 70, like the number, but spelt out. 70, like the number. <laughs> Excellent. Do you always introduce that way, the number? Uh, it depends. It depends where I am. Sometimes I'll just say Dave, but I guess, yeah, I guess if I'm on like a through hiking trail, I'll probably say my trail name. So. Okay. But, but when you say your trail name, do you say 70, like the number? Do you, yeah. Do you, do you yeah, include like, that, that like last tag there? Number, number spelled out. So it's, I guess, more like a name than just a number. Got it. So it's not seven zero. It's S-E-V-E-N-T-Y. Exactly. No, that's very, that's very specific. What's the story behind 70? Yeah. So I know this is a little controversial, but, but I gave the name to myself when I decided that I wanted to try to hike the Appalachian trail in 70 days. And I didn't have a whole lot of experience. I had a little bit with the Colorado trail before that, but um, I figured going that fast, I wouldn't really meet too many people for more than a day. So I figured I, if I didn't go in with a name already, then I wouldn't really be have a chance to be given one. So it was like, I'm going to be the guy going for 70 days. So might as well just, just make it all about that. So that's really the story there. Nice. Dave, you're in luck because I'm not one of those purists who thinks that <laughs> if someone doesn't give you a trail name, then, then it isn't really a trail name. I, I, I'm going to go with what you tell me. So 70 it is. All right. A70, have you listened to the, the podcast at all? Do you know what you've gotten yourself into? 
Yeah, I've listened to, I guess, more than a handful of episodes now. Okay. All right. Towards the end of each episode, we've got a segment called The Hiking Hack, where I will turn to you and ask you to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. So don't be surprised when we get there. All right. Yep. I got one for you. All right. Hey, let's, let's get to our first segment. Trailblazers Toolkit. That's right. It's time for the Trailblazers Toolkit, sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company, Six Moon Designs. Now, I love to talk about gear on the podcast, and I love to hear about the most important item in my guest's adventure gear. So, Seventy, if you were preparing for your next adventure, and I was the one providing you with all your gear, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? Give me all the specifics on that piece of gear. Tell me why you got to have it out there. And this could be any kind of item. It could be gear. It could be apparel. It could be a luxury item. So, Seventy, what is that item in your toolkit? Yeah, so for this one, I'm going to have to go with my Z-Pax Altiplex 10. I've had that thing now for probably closing in on 5,000 miles, and it's still just about as good as new. Had it out in bad weather, snowstorms. You get a perfect pitch every time. It weighs less than a pound. Yeah, sleep in that thing. Even probably when you could cowboy camp, I just sleep so well in that thing, and really would not want to be on a trail without it. So got to go with the Z-Packs Altiplex. Okay. You've got a, if you've got a Z-Packs tent, you, you must be going pretty light, especially if you're trying to do the AT in 70 days. What was your base weight on that attempt? So when I did that hike, I actually didn't have the Altiplex yet. It was after that hike when I got it. It really wasn't as light as it could be. And if I was going to do that again, it was probably like 11 pounds, I think then, which is definitely heavier than probably most people who are going to hike that fast, especially. And I'd only done one trail before that. And I was like just getting into the ultralight movement at the time. So I did like that AT hike. I do, I did things on that. I would never do again. Like I, I carried Crocs on that. I, I'd never do that. I haven't done that since. It's definitely learned a lot on that hike, even though I was really cranking out the miles. Crocs, you're taking a page out of Jeff Garmeyer's book. They were like for camp. So they weren't even there. <laughs> That's I thought with my feet to get messed up, I'm not going to be able to hike. So just having something at camp would be really nice. You get more experience, your feet get tougher. And it's, yeah, my feet are going to be fine and I can go without the Crocs now. So haven't carried them since. Okay. Now for most people, most of the people out on the trails, 11 pounds, that's pretty good. Yeah. That is not, that's not heavy at all. Mm -hmm. But AT in the summer, like if I was going to hike a lot of the AT in the summer again, like I've like fantasized, I guess, about this. I was like, oh, I could probably get it down to eight or even even, maybe even under eight because you don't need to carry like any warm gear. You probably don't even need a sleeping bag. You probably just be fine with a silk liner. So I think if I did it again, I could really get that base weight down now 70 is there such a thing as going too light is there not having enough out there and be just being totally miserable yeah for sure for sure i wouldn't want to be without my sleeping bag for example if it's going to be freezing cold or be like on the at and have to be like oh i don't need a tent because i'm going to sleep in the shelters so then the shelters are often full so yeah you can definitely definitely be stupid light for sure stupid light i like that (laughs) That, that could be the title of this episode, Stupid Light with Dave Bromlick. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Hey, let's keep talking about uh, gear and some hiking out there with... 
It's the hiking pole. The hiking pole, and that's pole spelled with two L's, like a survey, not like the thing you're carrying in your hand out there. This is a seven-question survey that's going to help me give you a score on the sanity scale from one to 100, with one being completely insane and 100 being completely sane. Now, just a heads up for you, anybody who tried to do the AT in 70 days with only having one (laughs) previous hike under his belt, that's an automatic point deduction of 40 points. So your top possible score today is 60. All right. I don't know. I feel like this is about about trying to get it as low as possible. I love that. I love that approach. Yes. You want to score low, wear it as a badge of honor. Okay. All right. Question number one. You ready for this? I think so. Okay. When you are out there and you happen to be at a speed where you you do run into other people and you talk to them for a little bit, what are the top three topics of conversation on the trail for you? Oh man, I've done a lot of hiking on my own. A lot of those miles have been just kind of in my own head, but I, yeah, I have done some with other people and Usually, I think into the Hayduke with my buddy Jamie, we were often talking about water, which is a big thing out there, what we're going to eat in town, maybe that trail, like navigation, maybe a lot about the different wildlife we're seeing, what we got coming up. Yeah, again, I just don't have a ton of experience with like trail families and like having really social hikes. If you meet someone for the first time, I think. The big question you always get asked or asked is, oh, when did you start? You know, things like that. Yeah, I don't know. That's good. That's good. On the Hey Duke, I imagine that the the topics are water, food, and navigation. Those are probably the three three (laughs) big ones on that trail. Yeah, we can say about any trail. Yeah. And I like the way you gave some extra to your answer because that also helps me with my scoring. Because sometimes okay. it's not what you, how, how exactly you answer the answer, but some the answer the question. But sometimes it's the extra information you let slip out that gives okay. me some insight into your state of mind. All right, question number two: best trail name encountered out there? Oh man, best trail name! <laughs> I met a guy on the AT, or maybe we had a flyby a guy named kitchen sink and this was like when i was in maine this guy was headed sobo and he got the name because he had literally everything you could possibly carry and i just thought that was really funny (laughs) i don't know why i can't remember what exactly he had but i just remember that that name and just finding it hysterical and it's not how far that guy actually got but so you flew you flew by him at 11 pounds and he probably had how much on it on his back? Oh man. With the name like kitchen sink, I think people were saying like 45, 50 pounds. <laughs> brutal. Brutal. All right. Question number three, toilet paper, bidet, leaves, snow, or something else? All of the above. Is that not an answer? <laughs> Yes, it is. That is an yeah. answer. I have not had that response yet. So that's unique. Yeah. So usually what I do is I'll budget maybe six squares per day. And if I'm doing a week-long hike where I can plan that out in advance more, I'll just rip off the squares of the roll, put them in a Ziploc. If I'm out on trail and I'm resupplying as I'm going, it's, oh, there's a pit toilet. I'm going to re-up my toilet paper. So usually my philosophy on this topic is to use the sticks, the leaves to do the heavy lifting 
and then use your supply of toilet paper to do the fine tuning. And you can make a bidet out of a water, a smart water bottle. Snow is excellent, but you don't always have snow, obviously. But super important to keep it clean down there. Otherwise, it can get very uncomfortable. Yes, yes. And I love the fact that you have budgeted for yourself six squares a day. Yeah, I used to do four and I found that it just wasn't enough. <laughs> That's too ultralight. That's too, yes, that yeah. is too ultralight. Yeah. Nice. I'll rip off like groups of four and then like I'll take that number of days and I'll rip off a couple more. So I have a little extra. Okay. Question number four, breakfast in camp on trail or no breakfast? So usually I break, try to break camp pretty fast and just will eat a bar as I go, put a little Starbucks via in my smart water bottle and just try to be hiking like within like less than 20 minutes from when the alarm goes off. So yeah, don't try to, don't like to dwell in camp super long. Okay. Question number five. I think I know the answer to this question because you already addressed it. Solo hiking or tramley? What do you prefer? I definitely have more experience with solo hiking. My experience, I found that it's just not many people, especially when I see the AT, are doing 31 miles a day. And then even other trails, it's just like when I'm not, don't have that much of a goal. Still, I'm hiking faster than most people. And it's just hard to fall into a group like that. And the experience I do have hiking with the tramley is really just my buddy, Jamie on the Hey Duke, and we've gone out there together and have purposely hiked together. But having that partner out there is really invaluable. And it's so nice to have someone to talk to and bounce ideas off of. So for that, yeah, I would probably prefer to have a partner with like equal fitness and um, capabilities, honestly, rather than solo, even though that is where most of my experience is. Okay. Now, question number six, rank, I want you to rank the following in order of favorite to least favorite. I'm going to give you three items and you rank them favorite, next favorite, and then least favorite. Okay. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Five miles, severe uphill, five miles, severe downhill, 20 mile roadwalk. All right. This is easy. Favorite, five miles uphill. Anything uphill is my jam for sure. So that's got to be the favorite. And then, uh, yeah, I'd probably go with the roadwalk second and then the then the steep down climb. Roadwalks, they're nice, unless, except if there's like a lot of traffic on them. Shout out to the PNT, but another good opportunity to put the headphones in and send a hiker trash radio and turn your mind off for a bit and crank out like some three and a half miles an hour hiking. And this, the steep downhills, oftentimes they're loose and it, it can be very tedious and it can be a bit painful on the bodies. Yeah. Okay. I think that's a good ranking right there. <laughs> Question number seven, what's on your head when you're out on the trail? Ball cap, uh, floppy hat, straw hat, sun hoodie, or no hat? Uh, definitely a trucker hat. Arizona trail. I used a, like a big, like wide brim hat and it's great for keeping the sun off. But the problem with those is 
they're like sails in the wind. And another problem, if you want to put a hood up over your hat, it doesn't really work at all. So just a regular like baseball hat or trucker hat, I guess has a little more ventilation is definitely the way to go. And I think with a lot of my, my philosophy with hiking, versatility is a huge, huge plus. So I think the just regular standard hat is hard to beat on that front. Got it. Got it. All right. Hey, 70, stand by. I've got to do some math here. Got to take off my <laughs> shoes, use all 20 digits. I've got to, let's say I got to carry the two. We're going to multiply that by pi. I'm going to divide by root five. And I'm going to make a slight adjustment for the weight of 74 days worth of toilet paper at six squares a day. And I come up with a score of 31. 31. All right. <laughs> 31. You like that, right? Yeah. Starting to go low. Yes. Nice. Nice. All right. Hey, 70, before we get too far down the trail, let's back up a little bit. We'd love to hear about your sure. background, where you grew up. Were you involved in any kind of sports and hobbies when you were younger? And how did you get involved in the thru-hiking cult? Yeah, so I grew up in uh, New Jersey, close to the Appalachian Trail. My parents would take me on like short day hikes when I was a kid. So I was a little exposed, but didn't really know too much about thru-hiking at the time. Um, didn't do a whole lot of hiking anything in like high school, college, I played football and golf in high school and didn't really do any sports in college. Um, yeah. And then how I got into through hiking. So after college, like I said, I didn't really play any sports. So when I graduated college, I was not in the greatest shape. And at 22 years old, I was like, I really don't want to spend my twenties like fat and out of shape. So started running just to lose some weight and get in shape like got better with that and got more into it and started like training for road marathons at first. And this was just for a couple of years I was doing that. And at the time I was living in uh, Portland, Maine and I like just run my first road marathon the weekend before. And then this weekend was Columbus day weekend. And one of my friends from college was working up in Maine at a camp and was like, Hey, we got the three day weekend. Let's go up to the Appalachian trail. And, uh, if anyone's familiar with like Grafton Notch Loop up there, we did like half of it. And that was like really the first time I'd put on a backpack and done any kind of backpacking. And that first day we hiked, we parked at Grafton Notch, the trailhead there, and we hiked up to the first shelter you come to, which I think was like less than three miles. And we we only did a few miles, right? And we brought some booze up there, made a fire, have, having a grand old time. And it's nine o'clock and this guy comes into the shelter and this guy was section hiking the AT Sobo and gets in there and is just like talking to us real quick and then goes to bed. And I remember he told us his name was Cautious. And I thought, I didn't even know what the concept of a trail name was. At the time, so I was like, what kind of name is Cautious? <laughs> what were this guy's parents thinking? <laughs> exactly. And then <laughs> we sleep. I get a restless night's sleep. I guess I slept a little bit in the bald paint mountain shelter there. 
And we get up in the morning. I remember this guy just eats a Snickers bar and is gone. And me and my two buddies were taken forever to get packed up. And I was just, just in awe of, of this guy who came in at 8.30 and p.m. and was like gone right when the sun came up. And I was like, um, and so, yeah, that kind of really planted a seed. And then the next summer after that, I got a bunch of cheap gear and did a section of the AT in New Hampshire. And really, that was how I got involved in and really loved it ever since and did the Colorado Trail. The next summer, that was 2018 when I did the Colorado Trail and really have been trying to take advantage of my summers like every year since and doing more and more hikes and more and more trails. Yeah, that's the origin story. Okay. I have some follow-up <laughs> questions there. Yeah. Uh, n- number one, what position did you play in football in high school? I was in offensive tackle, which well, people don't believe. They see this like uh, lanky runner guy. I was like, there's no way. It's like high school football is not like the NFL. You just got to put your head into people, and that's all you really do. Nice. Now, you also did not mention that you were a runner in high school, yet when you, you finished yet. college, you, mm-hmm. you took up running, and you it sounds like you, you ran a marathon in fairly uh, a short time period. Not really. It was a few years for sure. It was okay. like 2013 when I graduated college, and I did, didn't do my first marathon until – 2016. And how, how did you get into running? I just decided one day to, I was tired of being fat and go for a run. <laughs> and was, I could barely do a mile. Like that first mile I did, I aerobically, that hurt more than any ultra I've done in the last seven years that I've been doing ultras and marathons. Yeah, and then it just so well. I was tried did did the road marathon, and then tried to qualify for Boston, and did that. And I said I was starting to get into researching the Appalachian Trail. Found out about ultra running, and have gotten into that. It's a whole, whole rabbit hole we we could go down. Oh, we will, we will, sir. <laughs> what what's your just curious? What is your fastest marathon time? Two fifty six. That is impressive. Is good, but it's not. Yeah. Uh, Super good. Yeah, that's good. Uh, it, I, I, three, sub three, yeah. Yeah, if you're sub three, that's impressive to me. Also impressive, I have a lot of admiration for people who just wake up one day and say, you know what? I'm not feeling too healthy right now. I'm a little heavier than I should be, and I'm just going to change my life. And they go out and do it. That's, that is some willpower right there. So congratulations on that. Yeah, thank you. Hey, any siblings, 70? Yep. I got one sister. She is eight years younger than me. Okay. Baby mm-hmm. And is her trail name 80? <laughs> I don't think she has a trail name. I'm working on getting her one though. Fair enough. Now you mentioned you went to college, you graduated from college. What was your degree in? Uh, mathematics. Mathematics. And, I, and so are yeah, you in education? Yeah. Now I, I teach math at a school around and around here in Colorado. Okay. High school, junior high school? At this school, I've taught seventh, eighth, and ninth grade, but mostly junior high, mostly eighth grade is what I've done. Okay. And do your students have any idea what you do for fun? Uh, Yeah, they have some idea. Yeah, I got all my race bibs posted on the wall in my classroom. So they get to see that every day. They don't have to look too hard to find my YouTube channel. So 
they can see that. This year when I did a Moab 240, the school, they put, I think, a few things in the announcements or they posted about it on their social media. And I posted the link on our Canvas so they were able to follow me. So yeah, they got a pretty good idea of the crazy stuff I do. Have you introduced them at all to the concept in the world of thru-hiking? Yeah, I got a poster of the Colorado Trail and the Appalachian Trail in my classroom and the certificates they give you for completing the trail. I tell them, I tell them the first day, yeah, I've done, these are some of the things I've done. And then they'll like, I know you have a background in education too. And as well as anyone, I'm sure they don't always listen to what you say. So they'll be like, they'll go walk back to the Appalachian Trail post and be like, Mr. B, did you hike all this? I'm like, (laughs) yep, all that, Georgia to Maine. And and that one over there too. Mr. B. I love it. I love it. And you know what? The fact that they are exposed at the junior high age to ultra running, to marathon running, to through hiking, what you're doing is you're planting a seed because that's what happens is they, that you hear about something and some people come to it very late in life, right? There are people out there on the trails who just picked it up after they've retired. And you have others who pick it up at a very young age because somebody has mentioned something to them. Something has shared something with them. And that's what you're doing. You are planting that seed and hopefully inspiring the next generation of outdoor adventurers. Yeah, hopefully. I'm waiting for the day a former student reaches out and messages me that I inspired them to do a through hike or an ultra run or something like that. Hasn't happened yet. They're all still pretty young. Yeah, it will. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. All right. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to pay some bills, hear from the advertisers. And when we come back, we're going to get into uh, some stories from the trails because I know you have some stories. You, you tried to do the AT in 70 days. You were out on the Hey Duke. You were on the Colorado Trail. There are some stories there for sure. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey there, hikers. Ever conquered a peak only to find your feet a battlefield of blisters and hotspots? It's enough to make you want to pack it in and head home. But what if there was a way to hike harder, longer, and with more comfort? Introducing Creepers Merino Toe Socks. Made with ultra-soft merino wool and seamless construction, these socks are designed to minimize blisters and hotspots, even on the most demanding trails. Imagine this. You're miles into your hike, the sun is shining, and your feet feel light and airy. You're not worried about blisters or hotspots, just the beauty of the wilderness surrounding you. That's the power of Creeper Socks. Don't let blisters hold you back from your next adventure. Get your hands on a pair of Creeper's Merino Toe Socks today and experience the difference. Visit the website by following the link in the show notes to get 10% off your order. Make sure to use the discount code HTRADIO to let them know Doc sent you. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the... Must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. 
Download the new Bumble now. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is sponsored by Jolly Gear. Are you tired of compromising between the ventilation of a button-down and the full protection of a sun hoodie? With the Triple Crown button-down, you can have the best of both. Plus, their fun standout patterns will have you the talk of the trail. Visit them at jollygear.com. Through hiker owned Jolly Gear, where fun meets functional. that has the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a winchester life yeah baby six eight western oh, i'll be over there baby right there tune in every tuesday at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv and welcome back we we're talking to dave bronlick aka 70 and we heard a little bit about his background his his college experience how he got involved in both running and hiking. And now I'd like to spend a little bit of time talking about your adventures out on the trail. Now, I know we talked about your trail name being 70 because you were attempting to do the AT in 70 days, which by my calculation is you have to average over 30 miles a day in order to achieve that. Is that about right? Yeah. In 2019, it was 31.3 miles a day is what the average worked out to. So I'm sure now it's 31.3. Three one maybe now they added a couple extra miles to it every year. <laughs> now, did you reach your goal? Did you complete it in seventy days? So ultimately, the short answer to that question is no. Um, maybe because I picked my own trail name that that's why it didn't didn't quite work out. But no. So basically, the I made it to Mont. So I went northbound and I made it to Monson in. 68 days and those might not be as familiar with Appalachian Trail. Monson is the last town in Maine before the 100 mile wilderness. So for Monson, you only got 114 miles to go. And I had a plan to meet a friend and do Katahdin and, and finish in 71 days. So it's you know beautiful morning. I'm hiking down the trail. I'm like, all right, I'm going to get into Monson, get my box, get a bite to eat and be hiking out of here this afternoon with, with that plan. And get into Monson, get some food, hitch back to the trail. I'm, hi- I'm hiking out. Everything's fine. And then that evening rolls around and suddenly I didn't feel very well. I felt nauseous and I sit down for a bit and 
next thing I know, vomiting and coming out the other end also, and just felt horrible and thought like, all right, maybe I can sleep it off and try again in the morning and just had a pretty, pretty miserable and sickly night that night and got up in the morning and really did not feel like I felt like all the strength I had before, which was definitely waning by that point, but it was just like completely gone. It took me like two hours to hike three miles in the morning. And I was faced with the dilemma of do I hike 15 miles back to the road or do I keep going? And it's like supposedly the hundred mile wilderness where there's no contact for a hundred miles, but that's not true. And I like turned my airplane mode off and was able to have a bar service and was able to call the hospital or not the hospital, the hostel Shaw's definitely not the hospital. And they're like, yeah, there's something going around the hostel. There's a few people sick. And they told me I could hike like a mile and take like a blue ribbon trail to a cul-de-sac and they could pick me up. So yeah, I got, I got, that was like day 69. And I remember I looked at then gut hooks of where I turned off the AT to that cul-de-sac. And it was like 99.4 miles to go. So it's like I had less than a hundred and at that point, you had done over 2,100. 100 is just nothing. But I didn't really have the time to recover from the illness and get back out there. And then you like get back for work, which is was trying to, part of the reason I was trying to go so fast. But the kind of silver lining of the story is um, I had a week off in October of that year and made it happen to get back out there in October. So flew back to Maine, got up to Monson and got to see the hundred mile wilderness and Katahdin in like full, the full autumn glory, which was a lot better than the humidity and the bugs of late July. And it was just like indescribably beautiful that time of year up there. So it was definitely, definitely a bit of a silver lining. And then it ended up being 74, on trail days if you don't count like the days i was off trail between getting off from being sick and then getting back out there so that's why I just easier just to say 74 got it but it does not roll off the tongue as well as 70 so i think 70 is still the no, appropriate yeah. trail name you can't be 74 <laughs> yeah and it was like the whole journey right i was like going for 70 70 days and then the last week is like, that's probably gonna be like 71 and then the illness thing happened and i was like all right well, 74 and yeah made the t happened that year which was the ultimate goal so now it makes sense that you try to do it that quickly because you are a teacher you have your summers off you do have commitments yeah. back in the fall and so I, I can see the pressure there but it's pretty bold it's pretty bold to <laughs> not have done a, a hike of that length before and say, you know what, I'm going to do it during my summer break. I'm going to do it in its entirety during my summer break, get it done in 70 days. What, what kind of training did you do leading up to that? Did you know this was going to be a, like a, a heroic effort and you had to train accordingly? Or did you just show up with what you had and just gave it, gave it, gave it a shot? Oh, I definitely trained. So I first had the idea in 2018. So I did the 18 in 2019. And 2018, when I was hiking the Colorado Trail, I was doing the math in my head. I was like, oh, it's 30 miles a day. And I'm hiking 30 miles a day out here. And it doesn't feel too bad. So that could be something for next year. And then 
this next year started to get closer. I'm like, yeah, this is something that I really can't can't get out of my mind going for the Appalachian Trail. And it's might as well make it happen. And I'm glad I didn't really push it off because if I did push it off a year, the next year would have been the COVID year and a lot of uncertainty. So at the time, I was like super glad that I made it happen that year. And then as far as the training, I was like 2017, 2018, I was really running more seriously at the time and doing like marathons, ran my marathon PR then, started getting into ultras and was really just running a lot. And then as the AT started to get closer, I was doing like a ultra like every month. I think I did one. I did the New Jersey Appalachian Trail like FKT in like December leading up to it. I did like a 50 miler. I did Black Canyon 100K and then like two 50 milers after that. And then as it started to get a month out, I was running like 100 miles a weeks. So I was definitely trained up for it. And people say you can't train for a through hike, which I think is a load of crap. Okay. I mean, running a hundred miles a week and, and 50 yeah. milers and marathons, you got to be in, in good shape to do that. So I think that transfers over quite a bit. Yeah. And that's part of the reason I had, I didn't have a ton of experience doing like through hikes, but I did have, I was confident with the fitness and the experience that, that I did have that it would translate pretty well. And for the most part, it did. Okay. Now, other than the, the painful finish, having to come off trail and getting sick, is there a favorite story that you have that you tell either your students or family members who ask about your hike? The Appalachian Trail, that's a big story. The one where I got sick and had to come back. I yeah. mean, a lot of it was, um, yeah, just like putting in the big miles, like early 4.30 a.m. starts and especially towards the end when I couldn't hike as fast. It was like 10, 10 p.m. going to sleep, which was tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was pretty good, lucky with weather. I met my parents and my sister at a bunch of points along the trail, like Harper's Ferry, New Jersey. They came up to New Hampshire, so it was good to see them out there. But yeah, I don't know. There's not like another like individual story that really... okay comes to mind besides the big one there at the end. Okay. And your, are your parents and your sister generally supportive of your finances? Yeah, yeah, super, super supportive. Nice. Nice. Mm-hmm. Now, knowing that your students might be listening to this podcast, um, I'm not <laughs> sure if I should ask this next question, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. Sure. 70, are you hiker trash? Hiker trash? I would say yes, when I'm on trail. Yeah, for sure. And I think okay. it's something... That you got to embrace. And I, right. I guess I do the hashtags on Instagram. So Nice. And was there a particular moment on trail where you had a hiker trash moment that convinced yourself that, you know what, I have I have met the requirements of... Yeah, I think there's definitely... There could be a few things that are a rite of passage, but one I think for sure is a rite of passage is spending a night in a pit toilet, which I had the privilege of doing. And this was on the Arizona Trail, the end of 2019. And I had some time off then around the holidays. I was like, oh, I'm going to go do the southern half of the Arizona Trail, the end of December, the beginning of January. Because it's warm there. But I knew there was high elevations, but it was not warm there for the most part. 
So I, this was, I was getting close to Tucson and if you're familiar with the AZT around Tucson, it goes up and over the two sky islands. I think it's like one of them is Mount Lemon. I forget the name of the other, but it goes like way up there from 3000 feet to 9,000 feet, something like that. And there was um, a forecast for a snowstorm um, one night. And I was supposed to get picked up by a trail angel at this road that goes up to Mount Lemon like the next morning. And I'm looking at the miles and it's okay. I can either camp and then just have a couple miles in the morning, but I got this snowstorm coming. So I don't know. I don't really want to get snowed on. So I decided, okay, there's a campground at the road. So I could go up there, get to the campground, make camp, and then just get out of there in the morning. And hopefully the snow won't be too bad. So I decided to hike into the night a bit and probably till 10, 11 and made it to the campground, made it to the road, and it hadn't started snowing yet. And so, okay, we got these you know, developed campgrounds with picnic tables and toilets and should be nice. And I get there and I was like, okay, it's a developed campground and I got a non-freestanding tent and the ground is like cement. And I couldn't get, I could barely get my stakes in the ground and ended up like pitching my tent not super well. And I got it set up, but yeah, I wake up and I go to sleep and it starts snowing and I wake up and I can tell this, the tent is sagging a lot. And I try to like kick and this like this really wet, heavy snow and try to kick the snow off. And I think I doze back to sleep. And then, uh, next thing I know, I wake up and the tent is just collapsed on me and it's leading, it's snowing. It's just really shitty. And Basically, just grab everything like in my hands, and there's a pit toilet not too far away. And I just hide in the pit toilet, lock the door, and um, you know, <laughs> get my pad up and try to sleep. So, spent that night in the pit toilet, which you know, I think think is something a lot of hiker trash do. Yeah, that is the prerequisite, according to Ivy Tat. <laughs> he says that's how you earn the hiker trash nickname is that you. You spend the night in a pit toilet. Now, what are some of the luxurious moments of sleeping in a pit toilet? Was it aromatic? Were there flies in there? It wasn't was it, horrible. Yeah. It really wasn't that. The smell wasn't that bad. And I was out of the snow, which was definitely, definitely a luxury. And there's enough floor space for you to lie down fully. So it's really, if the smell and the flies aren't bad, it's really not the worst place to spend a night. <laughs> All right. Uh, congratulations on standards got to be pre- pretty low, but <laughs> <laughs> congratulations on that. Hey, any other memorable moments from the AZT? Oh man, yeah, that one was especially hiking it the kind of the southern half of it out of season. Yeah, I got up until the superstitions and the Four Peaks wilderness and. The superstitions, I think there is a burn like the year before and the ground gets like really loose after a burn, which I never experienced before. So like the trail was like super eroded and it was like right after that snowstorm. So a lot of the drainages were running with a lot of water and I remember one one night and you know, the days there are super short. So I was hiking at night after dark and I'm like hiking through this stream with like through freezing cold water it's dark. This is just crazy. <laughs> and then the 
Four Peaks Wilderness, I think the next day, there is a lot of snow up there. I was probably post holing through like 12 to 18 inches of snow and it's getting late and I'm getting really worked trudging through the snow and it's about to get dark. I'm like, where, how am I going to find a place to camp? It's all snow. I guess I could beat down some snow and try to camp on it. And then like all of a sudden out of, I feel like it just fell from the sky. There's one trail camp, like, you know, hiker kind of camp spot and there's one dry spot that's like perfect for my tent and I just felt like the trail gods smiled upon me that night to to provide me with that campsite then every once in a while the trail gods will will shine through in those miserable moments so they found you yeah yeah the next day it was like two more miles of that and then I hit this road and tv had driven down the road and I found that like tire wind I was just so happy to have that to walk in. I remember I was like starting to sweat and like just took off my shirt and was like steaming and <laughs> just so happy to find a tire well to walk on. So it's amazing how the smallest things can make you really happy out there. Yeah. Let's talk about speaking of looking for a place to put your foot and finding the trail. Let's talk about a, a trail that's not really a trail, it's more of a route, the Hey Duke. Mm-hmm. That, that is one of the toughest ones out there. How yeah, did it go well, with you and Jamie? Yeah, my buddy Jamie. Yeah, so first of all, we have not hiked the entire thing. I've hiked most of it. So the Hey Duke, it starts in Arches, at least most people do. And it goes through like the five Southern Utah National Parks, down and through the Grand Canyon, and then it comes back up to Zion. And the parts that we've done or that I've done like one section without Jamie is like from Arches to Zion, but via the Grand Canyon bypass alternate. So if you look at the guidebook route, like the Grand Canyon bypass alternate is not on there. It's something you have to do your own research about and together from different sources that are on the internet. So, and that's part of the kind of magic of the Hey Duke is it is a pick your own adventure in many ways. So that's the adventure that that we chose for it. Okay. And were there any moments where you thought, uh, I have no idea where I am right now? Were we completely lost? No, I really did my homework on it and had the guidebook and would sit down with it and open up CalTOPO and put in all the waypoints and all the descriptions. And yeah, and then that works super well. And the first couple times we've done it in sections over the past few years, like week-long sections. And the first time we had all the paper maps as a backup and just found that we never, never really needed them or were using them at all. So this past summer, when we went back for the last session, uh, we shouldn't even take the paper maps. We just used the CalTOPO that I made. And yeah, that that works fine. And even like the tricky parts, it takes all the guesswork out of it. You, you're, you're at a part that you know is tricky, but you just hit the thing on the Cal Topo and it says exactly where you are. And as long as you go to look for with like footprints or cairns or there's a pour off here, obviously we're not going down there. So maybe look up to the left and there's going to be a way to get around the pour off. Got it. Now it is not a heavily traveled trail yet, is it? Did you see a lot of people out there? <laughs> no, there is not like the AT or the, the PCT. Right. You're not going to see too many people out there. You'll see footprints for sure. Like you'll see evidence of people out there 
but we've gone for three different sections. And the second time we actually ran into a guy who was hiking the trade, the Hey Duke solo. He started with a partner, but by the time like we saw him a few hundred miles in, he was by himself and he joined us for, for a few days. So that was like the closest thing I've had to a trampoline hiking with two other people. And yeah. is Jamie an experienced hiker as well, or is he just tagging along with you? He's not as experienced as me, but he's got a lot of experience with running and ultra running and is pretty fit. And yeah, we just have a good, good kind of hiking chemistry. Yeah. When we're out there, it's definitely a good fit. Now talk about that a little bit. What do you consider good chemistry, good trail chemistry? And is trail chemistry? I think, yeah, I think a big part of that is just hiking the same pace, um, And one thing I said, I think earlier is that I really value simplicity when hiking. And when you start to have trampoline or hike, even with just one other person, you're increasing the complexity because now instead of having to make decisions for one person, you're making decisions for two. And when I'm hiking by myself, okay, if I want to keep going, that's solely up to me. Or if I want to do this alternate, it's solely up to me. But then when you have another person it's does the other person want to do the same thing or do they want to camp? Are they tired? Are they hungry? So when you're on the same page on a lot of those things, then it really, I think it think make, makes it more fun and having that other person to just talk to or bounce ideas off of. And then you're usually going to be on the same page about like what you want to do or how many more miles you want to go. And so things like that. Got it. Got it. And how much of the Hey Duke is left to do for you guys? So for me to have continuous footsteps from Arches to Zion, there's actually only one section that I'm actually thinking of going back next week to to complete with the short days and, and the cold. And that'll probably be going solo, but it's only 40 miles. So if you just count like the continuous footsteps from Arches to Zion, like 40 miles, but if you count the guidebook route, then I would have like pretty much all of the Grand Canyon section, which is supposed to be like the most challenging part of the Hey Duke. And the only experience I have with the Grand Canyon is the rim to rim and the rim to rim to rim run, but just like the standard national park trails. But I would like to go back Sunday and do the, uh, the Grand Canyon Hey Duke route. It's just tricky with the seasons because when we were looking at it for this year, we went, we were going to go in March this year, but the weather that we had for the week that I had was really bad. So we decided to postpone until the end of May, early June. And we were like, we thought about going the guidebook route down to the Grand Canyon. We're like, we really don't want to be in the Canyon in like early June. It's just going to be too hot. So, and then the tricky thing, if you go in March, getting down there, so you got to deal with getting to the North Rim pretty early. There's going to be a lot of snow. And I think there's some of the trails are closed now because of rockfall on the North Rim. So, yeah, it's a tr- tricky place to get to for sure. Got it. Got it. All right. Now, you have mentioned a couple times running and ultra running. And I know that you have done the Moab 240. And for our listeners out there who are not familiar with the Moab 240, the 240 stands for the distance. It's 200, <laughs> yeah. 240 miles. And so how do you prepare and how do you run a race that is 240 miles long. How long does it take? 
they give you up to, I think the cutoff was 116 hours. So that's like the most time you have. It took me 89 hours and some change. And I think the first place guy was like 70 hours, something like that. Really, really depends. And then how do you train for something like that? Is some, I think a pretty interesting question. And my mindset going into it was to approach it like a through hike, but I was going to have basically trail magic every 12 to 20 miles. I was not going to carry as much as I normally would on a through hike. I was going to have a crew, which I've never had on a through hike, but I was going to sleep a little bit less and I was going to run a little bit more. And that was my mindset going into it. But yeah, I guess going back to the training, really my training was just to be like, and this was just a couple weeks ago. And I've put, if you look on my Strava, I've put on like over 28,000 miles in the last seven years, I think. And I was like, I think there's really a lot of value in lifetime miles in your legs. So I was really relying on that. And more specifically, like this summer, I was on the PNT for 40 days. So that's a lot of time on feet, which is really the biggest thing for Moab, a race like that is just a lot of time on feet. So I just think those lifetime miles and racking up the time on feet as you get closer to the event is, is the most important thing. Got it. Now in the Moab 240, about how many runners each year run that race? Do you know? Run? I think the permit is for 200. I almost want to say 240. Makes sense, but I'm not totally sure. But it's something like that. It's 200 something people. Okay. And then is the ultra trail running community, is it a tight knit community? Do you know a lot of people who are also uh, in that pastime? Yeah, I know a good amount. I mean, I don't know like everyone who's out there running, but yeah, you tend to see the same faces over and over again. And the reason I even got to run it in the first place, if you don't know, it's like insanely expensive if you just want to plunk down the entry fee and run. But if you volunteer for one of their other races, then you can bypass the lottery and the the fee. I guess the fee is just your time and your work. So me and my buddy who also ran the race... Uh, we volunteered at the Tahoe 200 in 2022. We worked our way into the race that way, which I think is a great way to do it because we were able to meet a bunch of other people. And I think the 200-mile community is a little bit different than some of the other distances also. There's people who really are really gravitate to the 200s. And it's definitely a different style of race than even a 100. Actually, a lot different, I would say. Yes. Have, have you had a chance to meet Kevin Goldberg or Gabe Peterson? Yeah. So actually, um, uh, Kevin lives pretty close to me. I think I first met him at Tahoe in, in 2022. And where we practice for cross country, I've seen him running on the trails out there because that's by where he lives. And he, I think he was training for tour. And I was like, hey, Kevin. And we ran together for a bit. And and then I saw him in Boulder a couple times and we set up a time to run together. And I definitely wanted to hear some of his advice about the 200s. So yeah, the wisdom he imparted on me was definitely valuable as I developed the strategy to, to go into that race. 
That's uh, awesome. Yeah. Next time you next time you see him, tell him tell him that Doc says hi because Kevin and Gabe have been on the podcast a couple. Yeah, of no, times. I've been meaning to I've been meaning to listen to that one. I don't think I think I have yet, but I I'll definitely check it out. Yeah, I I think he's picked up the nickname. Is, is it the People's Runner or America's Runner? Oh, I honestly I honestly don't know. <laughs> yeah, it was. But he and Gabe were talking about it last time. So uh, a couple of real good guys. Now yeah. NA two hundred. Do you run all 200 miles? How does that work? You definitely don't run all 200 miles. In fact, it's mostly hiking. It's mostly walking. And that's when I'm, one of the things that Kevin told me when we're running together is you guys with the through hiking backgrounds usually do really well at these races because it is a lot of hiking and runner ultra runners are used to running and not so much all the hiking you do. I think having a through hiking background going into one of these races is a huge advantage because you do some running, but it is a lot of hiking. And almost any ultra, you're going to be hiking the uphills anyway, no matter what the distance is. So, yeah, having that hiking experience to draw on is, is a huge plus. But you try to run when you can. And one of the things he told me is you want to be conservative the first day. But after any time after that, if, if you feel good, try to run if it's flat or downhill. And I felt like I was able to do that pretty well. Nice. How many calories do you have to consume during a 240-mile race? Oh, I have no idea. I don't count calories or do anything like that. But one of the great things I said is, oh, you have like trail magic, essentially, every 12 to 20 miles. And at these aid stations, are like typical ultra-running aid stations that have Oreos and pickles and chips. They have that if you want that stuff. But usually you get there and it's the race is so long that... After the first few aid stations, like the runners get there at such varied times that you're usually, at least for me, I was like a lot of times only one at the aid station and it's all the food is like made to order. So they would have like burgers, um, burritos, pancakes, and you basically just tell them what you want and they make it right there for you on the spot and they'll change up the food that you want or the food that they offer depending on the time of day. So they'll have like when it's nighttime and it's cold, they'll have soups and broths and things that you want when it's cold. Day, like daytime, they'll have burgers, breakfast, they'll have the burritos. So yeah, it really is. It really is like having the trail magic. That's awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Hey, what is next for 70? What's the next big adventure? going to be a little bit of cagey on that, but uh, suffice to say next year is going to be a big year and just follow me on um, to find okay. out more. And Instagram is just my name at David Bromlich, B-R-A-U-N-L-I-C-H. All right. Very mysterious. We'll have to tune in and see <laughs> what's going on. Hey, 70, you know where we are right now? This is a pro tip insight thing, or is that what it's formally called? Hiking Hacks. <laughs> That's right. It's time for Hiking Hacks, and this is the time where you get to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. What do you have? All right. So my hiking hack is to carry a sit pad, or as I like to call, an ass pad, because it's super versatile. You can They don't weigh much. You can get your like Z-Lite sleeping pad, the accordion-style one, and just cut out like a square that's just big enough for your bum and that'll make any break spot like way more comfortable and 
It's got other uses. If you're getting up to take a leak in the middle of the night, you can stand on that and your feet will be a little warmer and you won't drag dirt and grime back into your tent as much. When I was hiking the PNT, mine actually fell out of my pack on this one roadwalk. I was like getting a water bottle out and it just fell out and it was like miles later. And it's like, ah, shit, I lost it. And I, was, I had to go without it for for a few days until I could have a new one sent to me. And I was really missing it. So for the amount of comfort you get for the weight, I think it's obvious thing to take with you. So nice. The sit pad. Very good. So there you have it. We are just about done here. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Dave. Want to thank him for joining us this week. 70, you already mentioned uh, your social media. You also mentioned a YouTube channel earlier. Is it also your name? Yeah, it is very creatively also just my name. Sometimes I go David, sometimes I go Dave. YouTube is, yeah, just at Dave Bromley. I think Instagram is David. So I'll also try to get that get that synced up. <laughs> but yeah, YouTube, Dave Bromley. Got a few Hey Duke videos up there, Tahoe Rim Trails. Yeah, give me a view on YouTube. Yeah, Instagram's a little bit more formal with the full yeah, name right. David. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay. Hey, remember to check out Hiker Trash Radio on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you have comments or clips you want to share with me, you can send it to me at hikertrashradio at gmail.com. Off the beaten path. Now, unfortunately, we can't always be on the trail. And when we're not, we need to find a way to get our adventure fixed. So, 70, I'm going to ask you to share some outdoor adventure media with our listeners to help them get by. This could be a book, a movie documentary we call this segment off the beaten path and it's sponsored by the outdoor clothing brand magnet designs what do you have for us all right is it okay if i give you two absolutely all right these are both books i read earlier this year first one is called um in the heart of the sea it's about a whale ship that got attacked by a whale and the crew the ship sank and they had to live off the whale boats for months at a time. And what happened to them is pretty insane. And just, I remember reading that book. It was hard to put it down at the end. So highly recommend that one. Um, the did, other one. Did they make a movie about that? I think they did, but I read, I didn't see the movie. I only read the book and I heard the movie wasn't, that good so i was like yeah, yeah i didn't see the movie either and uh-huh. hearing you talk about the book now i am doubly intrigued we have to i have to get that yeah book. it's it, it's a good it's a good read it was written i don't know like more recently than the next one i'm going to give you so it's okay. a it's an easy read yeah and the next one i'm giving you going to give you a book i read earlier this year also it's called uh, and of course i'm blanking on it now it's called the worst journey in the world and it's about Robert Falcon Scott's South Pole Expedition in the early 20th century. And it was written by someone who was on the crew for that. And just the amount of resources and how long they were down there for that expedition. One part they made a side expedition like in the winter, right when it's dark, to steal a penguin egg for the sake of science. And just what they went through to get that penguin egg is absolutely insane. And it makes ultra running and through hiking look like a trip to Disney World. But that book is, it definitely is a denser 
read being written early 20th century. It's not a page turner for sure, but the good parts are really good. Okay. Both excellent recommendations. And I love the old time explorers. And yeah, I don't know. I was in a think, for I think you know, modern adventurers are, we're pretty spoiled. We've got a lot of resources yeah. at our disposal. For sure. And for these guys to be doing what they did Airplane. back in the day with the clothing, with the equipment, yeah. with just, it was just so rustic back then. It's amazing that they were able to do what they did. Yeah, South Pole, they were not, they were not ultra light. They're carrying like 500 pound sledges on the ice, up the hill, through the snow. Yeah, insane. All right. Two for one today. We got two adventure media recommendations. Thank you so much. And before we go. What have we not asked you? Just one more segment for you called. What have I not asked you that you're dying to tell us about? What do we miss? What else do you want to share? Um, uh, we didn't really talk much about the PNT, which let me see my hat there. But uh-huh. want to give a shout out to the PNT. I hiked it eastbound. Actually, didn't quite get to them as part of my plan for next year is to go back and finish like the last hundred miles and change. But the PNT, if you're, excuse me, sick of the crowds and trying to get a PCT permit and all that BS, the PNT is an awesome trail. It's not all finished and there are some roadwalks. The roadwalks is an opportunity to eat pizza and drink beers on the way, especially on the Puget Sounds. I definitely want to give a shout out to the PNT. You can definitely find some solitude out there and it's not as rugged as some people might think. It's definitely going to be more blowdowns than some of the other trails, but I just highly recommend it. I had a great time on the PNT this summer. Okay. We are finished. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, Dave. We wish you the very best in your future adventures, whatever those might be. And we'll hope you'll consider coming back at yeah. some point and sharing some stories yeah, I, from those adventures. I love to, yeah, maybe after after that. Okay. Fantastic. As we close up, any shout outs to friends and family or students? I'm not going to name any of the students, but I'll just give them all a, all a blanket, blanket shout out because I, I know they'll be listening. So. Shout out to my 7th and 8th graders. Don't forget to do your homework. <laughs> yeah, I'll give my my parents, my sister, my my, my buddy Jamie of hiked most of the Hayduke with. Yeah, I think that's it. Okay. All right. Hey, thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if it's snowing and there's already hiker trash in the pit toilet. The trail is the trail. Embrace the sock. Anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.